I would start with, first of all, making sure you can have a confidential conversation. That is, is key to somebody's safety. Welcome to a new edition of Good and Grounded, the podcast dedicated to the issues facing our Colorado community in this year that can only be described as unbelievable. I'm Laura Love. And I'm Laura's partner in crime on this podcast, Jim Licko. During one of our first podcast episodes, we spoke to CEO of the Tennyson Center for Children, Ned Breslin, about the rise of child abuse and neglect during this pandemic. Today's guest is also a leader in protecting the state's most vulnerable the victims of relationship violence and abuse. Amy Miller is the executive director of our state's Domestic Violence Coalition, an organization that was founded in 1977 and works with hundreds and hundreds of organizations in local Colorado communities to prevent and end relationship violence and support those affected by relationship abuse. She's been with Violence Free Colorado for more than 12 years and has worked in this area for more than 20 years. She holds a master's degree in social work and a bachelor's degree in psychology and knows more about this difficult issue than almost anyone in our state. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So take us back to early March when everything began to shut down and describe how you mobilize what you say is a very small staff to address the stay at home and safer at home orders and how that impacted your clients. You know, initially we shut, we had to shut down our own office and set ourselves up to work remotely, um, which was a challenge in and of itself. Um, as we began to wade through all the public health guidance order and orders that were coming out, we quickly realized the implications of it all. So as the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment and the governor's office were working on statewide stay at home and safer at home orders, we reached out and collaborated with them in three main ways. We advocated that domestic violence service providers be considered essential businesses and for their employees to be designated as essential workers. And that allowed us to ensure that these organizations would be able to remain open to provide services. Next, we asked that um, those statewide agencies include language in the orders that made an exception for people who needed to leave their homes if they were unsafe, because you know, we were starting to hear that people weren't sure if it was okay to do that. Um, you know, what we needed an exception um, to those orders and we needed it to be made public. Um, so we also worked with them on messaging to get the word out to Coloradans experiencing abuse, that domestic violence organizations remain open and free and confidential services were still available to them. With, with your victims feeling sort of even more trapped and isolated, did you see an increase in calls immediately? Not immediately. And I think partly that's because everybody was in kind of a, a deer in headlights mode, oh. right? Nobody, none of us had ever lived through anything like this before. So um, we were scrambling um, and people around the state experiencing abuse, I think, um, really didn't quite know how to handle this um, situation. I think eventually over time, victims and survivors started to maybe um, have to deal with some of the impacts of being isolated sometimes in the same residence with the person that was abusive to them, maybe their children, also maybe their pets. 
So nobody's really seeing what's happening, right? When people are in the same residence together, there isn't the accountability where somebody might be going to their workplace and a coworker notices, notices that something's happening or something's not right. Um, children aren't going to school. So eventually most, um, if not all of the domestic violence service providers around the state began to see an increase in crisis calls and requests for other services. Starting in April, it really started to pick up in May. Um, you know, in, so including um, requests for emergency shelter or housing, advocacy, financial assistance, um, counseling, um, and other services. You know, the increases that we heard back from our member programs were anywhere from 17% increase to 200% increase. And this is during like the second and third quarters of this year over the um, requests for assistance and services they had provided in 2019. So your shelters, I mean, if, they're, if they are overflowing, what happens? Where, is, where does the overflow go? Uh, that's a good question, and, and that's not necessarily a really new problem, um, unfortunately, for shelters in this state. We don't have the capacity that we need to meet the demand. So we worked with them and the governor's office and the Colorado Hotel and Lodging Association to try to secure as many hotel rooms as possible for shelter overflow. Um, and we also encouraged them if they already had relationships you know, with local um, hotels and motels in their community, you know, to reach out that now is the time really to leverage those relationships. And we made sure um, as much as we possibly could that they would have extra funding because we're talking about, you know, needing to keep people um, housed in a, in a hotel for two weeks or more, right? If you think about even like the quarantine guidelines. Talking about how when, when individuals don't have the chance to go to work, when they don't have the chance to interact as much as other people, there's not as much of a chance for somebody to recognize those signs of abuse. Um, what can you share with our listeners to keep an eye out for when it comes to um, recognizing when someone may be, may be in trouble or may, may need some help in this, in this world? Sure, so I think one thing that a lot of people don't know about this issue is the the contextual factors right so um it's not just always um, what the tactics of abuse are but understanding that this is happening in an atmosphere that is continually controlling um, that there's coercion that happens there's dominance over that person and then within that context you have tactics of abuse. Um, and we have a section on our website, which is uh, violencefreecoforcolorado.org, um, where people can find help. I would also encourage people, because we don't have a, um, like several other states, we don't have a statewide hotline. Instead, we rely upon the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So that number is 800-799-SAFE, like S-A-F-E, or since people are stuck 
in the same residence sometimes right now um, with a person that's being abusive, if you can't speak safely over the phone, you can text love is to 1-866-331-9474. I know one of the hardest parts is having that conversation with someone you care about. How do you share that with people? You know, how do you, how do, what do you say? What's the right thing to say to somebody that you care about? First of all, making sure you can have a confidential conversation. Uh, that is, is key to somebody's safety, right? So you don't want the person who you suspect is abusing your friend or, or family member or coworker to overhear. Okay, um, and being mindful that sometimes people are tracking people online as well. Um, there's spyware that can be installed on people's phones and computers to track every keystroke. So in in-person um, conversation if possible or a phone call um, that's confidential, um, it's really important to convey that to that person that you're not trying to pry um, that relationships, you know, are often private, but you are very concerned about signs of a potential abusive relationship that you've observed. Um, also, not being judgmental of that person, um, really trying to understand the situation that they're in and that often the things that somebody does to survive an abusive relationship seem counterintuitive. Um, and oftentimes, and, and people experiencing abuse know this, that when you try to leave that relationship, that is the most dangerous time for you and your children. And so planning it out and making sure that you know what the resources are available to you in the community, that you have the money you need to leave, um, that you have whatever you know, legal protection you might want to have in place um, to be able to leave that situation. Um, so trying to understand some of those things um, that are making it complicated for that person. Um, also understand that when they got into this relationship, um, these uh, abusive tactics weren't being used. Okay. Um, re these relationships start out like any relationship would and and people fall in love um, and so you've got this complex um, swirling of emotions of love and fear right mm -hmm. um, at the same time and then if people have children together if they have property together um, if they have shared um, bank accounts everything gets really complicated in terms of trying to extricate you know, or get yourself out of a situation like that. So learn as much as you can, um, be non-judgmental, make sure that that person knows you're always available to them. Um, no matter what, or if they stay in the relationship, you're available to talk. If they want to get out, you're available to help them plan um, that and, and be a support for them. Those are the things that are really, really key. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy topic to be sure. And and short of asking our listeners to be on the lookout for those signs to approach those conversations in the appropriate way that you've outlined, 
what would you what would you say is the one action that our listeners could take short of short of keeping an eye out for those signs and, and having those conversations with their loved ones um, as a call to action right now? What, what where's the biggest need exist for people to either volunteer or get involved or contribute um, in this world of, of domestic violence? Sure. So, I mean, volunteer opportunities, as you can imagine, are limited right now because a lot of volunteerism in the you know domestic violence um, organization space happens in person. Um, some of it does happen by taking hotline shifts. Um, and so I would still encourage folks to reach out to their local organization. Um, and again, if people go to our website, violencefreeco.org, um, and they look under the find help page, uh, they will see a listing of all of the organizations across the state by county. They can just click on a county um, and it will tell them who their local organization is. So I would call um, them. You can get their contact information from our website or by um, clicking the link on our website to go to that organization's page. Um, also, if people have the ability to financially give right now, um, fundraising efforts have been hampered by COVID-19. Most organizations have had to cancel their biggest fundraising events of the year, um, while at the same time their operating costs and meeting the needs of survivors and families in their community have skyrocketed. And so um, if you can give, do, you can find again that list on our website of all those organizations around the state um, and under Get Involved, on our website, people can support our statewide efforts as well. And we sure would appreciate it. So Amy, you're doing a lot. I um, We appreciate it. What keeps you up at night? I think mostly worrying about whether people know that these free and confidential services are available because getting the word out about that is difficult anyway. Um, do they know and then if they if they show up, is that organization gonna have the resources um, that they need um, to be able to help as many of those people as possible? Because um, when people get turned away, you know, they end up with false choices around going back to an abusive situation um, and, or often even becoming homeless. Um, that's what keeps me up at night. Well, thank you for all you do for all the women and children and victims and survivors of this. And Jim and I and the rest of the team really appreciate the, your leadership in this area. Well, thanks for the platform to allow me to talk about it and share you know, what we've been experiencing during this unprecedented situation um, and to help make sure that people know that they can get help. That's great. Thank you, Amy. If there is a Colorado leader with a good story to tell, please drop us a line and let us know. We would love to connect with him or her. If um, you listen to this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, um, be sure to subscribe, tell your friends. Let's do some good in our Colorado communities.